Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. The feedback we've been getting on Mojo University is absolutely amazing. People are loving the fact that they can learn how to lead others and that there's actually a course that they can take that uh, it allows them to learn, but they do it on their own time. Uh, I want to highly encourage you, if you're listening to this show and you're needing to improve your leadership skills, go to mojouniversity.com and try us out for a month. I promise you it'll be the best thing you've ever done for your career. Take care and thank you very much. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest, Mr. Jeff Hyman. Now Jeff is the author of a brand new book called Recruit Rockstars, the 10-step playbook to find the winners and ignite your business. And uh, I know we're gonna have fun talking about recruiting and getting those good people. And let me tell you a little bit about Jeff. Uh, he is the chief talent officer of Chicago-based Strong Suite Executive Search, uh, or Strong Suit Executive Search, excuse me. Uh, and he's been involved in a number of different companies. Uh, he currently teaches an MBA course about recruiting at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. He's been featured in Inc. Magazine, Fortune, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Bloomberg, and many others. Uh, he holds a master's degree from Kellogg School of Management and a bachelor's from Wharton. So, Jeff, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. How are you, Steve? It's great to be on today. Doing great. Thank you for asking. And before we get started talking about your new book, uh, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, so I actually just moved. Uh, I moved from the distant suburbs to downtown Chicago, uh, which has been a lot of fun, other than the Bulls, which were off to a pretty rough start this year. Uh, I, I tell people it's a, it's a rebuilding year for the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> that's but true. living downtown Chicago is just, it's hard to beat. Just it's such a wonderful city, wonderful people, uh, very welcoming. And, and so that's been a lot of fun. It's uh, one of my favorite cities. It's a beautiful city, and uh, if you've never been there, you're re you're really missing a treat. Uh, it's a don't, great place. Yeah. don't necessarily uh, love it in the middle of winter. I'm I'm an Arizona guy, so I kind of like the sunshine out here. But I love <laughs> it the rest of the year. <laughs> well, I'll come visit you in February. There you go. Uh, that would be a beautiful thing. Uh, Jeff, I'm really excited to talk about your new book, Recruit Rockstars. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that recruiting people 
I think people uh, really struggle with this, and I think uh, business leaders and executives are continuing to struggle with it. You make a statement that 90% of the business problems that we face are actually recruiting problems in disguise. Why don't you share with our listeners what you mean by that and give us a little bit of idea of, of what really caused you to write this book? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think anyone that's managed people, which I presume is many or most of your listeners, absolutely, uh, you know, kind of gets it, right? Because you have choice. And that, that's why I was excited, uh, excited about talking with you because, you know, you can either put in the work on the front end or you can put the work in on the back end. Uh, if you recruit rock stars, they're just inherently less management, less micromanagement, less babysitting, all that kind of stuff. Or you can recruit B and C players and put it in on the back end, managing and guiding and, and handholding and all those kinds of things. So it's not to say that rock stars don't need to be led and inspired, uh, but it is easier, significantly easier uh, in my experience building four companies. And so that's what led me to you know, to write the book, I learned along the way that every single time uh, I took a shortcut, hired a warm body, settled for a B player, I just basically created a lot more work for myself on the back end. And so over the course of hiring about 3,000 people now, just kind of learned every single mistake that I made and I tracked, you know, kept track of them and uh, wrote the book, which is really a culmination of all the lessons uh, that, I, that I learned the hard way. Well, I think it's exciting that you've uh, really put this down into uh, a written form because uh, you, you claim that you've got a, a, a bulletproof 10-step method, and I want to talk about that. Uh, but before we kind of get to that point, uh, you, you make a statement that says, okay, you want to tell us why we should replace job description with job invitation. I'd like to know more about that. Sure. Anyone who's looked for a job, which is probably most people uh, listening at some point in their career, has read these horrific job descriptions, poorly written, boring, uninspiring. But most importantly, they're really typically focused on requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you please apply if you have X, Y, Z, if you've done this, this, yep. this many years in this industry. Aside from the fact that many of the things aren't even predictive, which we can talk about, uh, they, they don't inspire great candidates, most of whom are gainfully employed in, in the kind of job market we're in right now, to even pay attention to your, to your position. What is far more effective is a compelling, well-written, creative job invitation where you're simply telling people about the business, what mission you're on, inspiring them about the possibility of getting involved and inviting them to have a confidential conversation. So it's much more about us and the company and the industry and this exciting role than it is about you must have X, Y, Z. And so now, of course, once they're in the funnel, once you begin talking with the candidate, of course, you're going to assess them for those predictors. But first, you've got to get them in the funnel. And, and most job descriptions are very, very poor at doing that. I totally agree with you. As a matter of fact, I, I, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes people make. Uh, if you go and look at uh, job descriptions on or job postings on job boards, most of them, uh, frankly, before you've read four or five of them, it, you're, you're bored to death. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really quite uh, sad. Um, one of the companies that I started 
we actually had a professional copywriter, a former advertising guy, and he would write these job descriptions. They, they were masterful. They were creative and humorous and engaging, and it significantly opened up our funnel of candidates that wanted to speak with us versus you know the typical bullet point boring list. And so I encourage your listeners to kind of try a few different ways at that, uh, and it can make a huge difference in the flow of candidates at the top of the funnel. Oh, I agree. Uh, and when you talk about trying it, to me, uh, it, why don't you just test it? I mean, for yep. goodness sakes, put your boring bullet point thing out there. See how many really good candidates you get and track it against something that's a little bit more ingenious. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, uh, about uh, the temptation to just hire a warm body. Uh, on, on our show, we've talked about this uh, before where I, I call, I, I, I talk about uh, managers really falling prey to uh, what uh, a lot of people call a butt in the seat mentality. Yeah. Meaning I got an opening, I just need to put a butt in that seat. And I happen to, I, I absolutely hate that thought process myself. Uh, I know you've seen it uh, over the years. Tell us what the real issues are when we have that that desperation to get somebody in that seat. Well, I understand the desperation. I've been there many, many times myself, having built startup companies. Time is not on your side, and you're eager you know, to, to, to fill the position, whether it's a senior role or not. The problem is, again, you settle, you, you find a warm body, and you've, again, created a whole lot of work for yourself. More importantly, it's important to understand that rock stars want to work with rock stars. So when you settle for a B player, you are sending a very important message to the rest of the organization that I am willing to settle. And your rock star, your A player, will really resent it because they will uh, envision that person as holding back the rest of the team. I would encourage people to leave a position vacant as long as it takes to find a rock star. And you'd be surprised that others will rise to the occasion and fill that hole, fill that gap far better and with far more uh, uh, comfort than working with a B player and settling. So the problem is that you fall subject to just-in-time hiring, right, as mm -hmm. opposed to building a consistent pipeline. Think about a sales rep who always blows away her numbers. She does that because she builds a pipeline, a consistent pipeline of leads that's usually three to four times more than she needs, right? And right. she always makes her number. And recruiting is no different. Recruiting is in sales and marketing, right? And if you consistently build and harness a pipeline of talent, when a position comes open in your company due to growth, or turnover, attrition, whatever, you have someone on standby. You've already met that candidate. You already love that candidate. When you have just-in-time hiring, you're scrambling, it's a mad rush, and you settle. And that's always a mistake. Well, I appreciate you talking about that, Jeff, that we need to have a pipeline because most companies that I talk with really do not have a pipeline. They have the idea that, uh, well, we don't really have an opening today. Why should we continue well, right. to recruit candidates? How <laughs> right. would Why you, how would you answer that? Well, again, it kind of goes back to the first thing we talked about, which is if you spend 30 to 50% of your time on talent, and by that I mean recruiting and 
assessing your team and, frankly, parting ways with underperformers or mishires, if you spend 30 to 50% of your time up front, you can do a whole lot of things wrong, and they still perform. If you don't, then you got to spend that th- same 30 to 50% of your time on the back end, babysitting, micromanaging, coaching, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, my feeling is if I have a team of rock stars, they don't need to be, have their hand held. What I should be doing is making sure that I know where our next rock star is coming from. And they're so hard to find that, frankly, I have created positions for them because when they fit the culture, they've got the right DNA match, they've got something that they, get, that they can bring to the party, we'll make room for them because mm. it's so hard to find them. That, that, that is a great, great point. I often hear people say, well, you know, if I had that great candidate, well, you're not looking, so how in the world are you're you going to know? <laughs> right. of, course, of course, they're out there, right? But it does, you do have to turn over some, you know, some rocks and kiss some frogs. But if you're spending your time taking a few meetings each week, and I don't mean informational career coaching, you know, with, with a kid, I'm talking about a real conversation with someone who you've been told is a rock star. You assess them. You say, wow, this kind of guy guy or gal, I'd make room on my team for them. That's a great use of time, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree with you. I think it's the best use of time. Uh, you know, most uh, most people are familiar, and uh, if they look at their businesses, they've heard the, the 80-20 rule. 20% yeah. of our performers provide 80% of the revenue, et, et cetera. And, uh, you know, people ask me a lot of times, okay, well, how can I win as a business? Well, it's really quite simple. Instead of having 20% of your people uh, that are producing 80%, what if you, unlike your competitors, you had 30 or 40 or 50% that were star performers? Yeah. You know, I I hear this from people, and and frankly, I don't get it. Maybe you can explain it to me. I hear people say, as as long as I have a few key performers, right? A few rock stars on my team. Then I'll have the rest of my team be B players and that works real well. Like like you said, 80-20. I don't get that. I don't understand why someone, a leader, a CEO, a founder, wouldn't aspire to have an entire team of rock stars. Well, you're continually adding to that team. You're, you're almost a collector of talent, right? You want a rock star in every seat. When you make a mishire or when someone peters out, you, you respectfully always replace them and upgrade them with someone who is a rock star. I don't understand this mindset of, you know, I have 100 people and I've got my five rock stars and everyone else is kind of a B player. I've never understood that, that mindset. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I, I, I know there are a lot of reasons for it, uh, but at, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think it goes back to uh, years ago, uh, companies were were really judging managers by uh, did they have their open job uh, request actually filled, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so a part of their bonus, a part of their evaluation was okay. Do you have everybody in the seat? And because there was no real coordination between uh, HR and the hiring managers, uh, and no real plan out there to continue to fill the funnel. I think that people got into the mindset, well, you know, it's impossible for me to ever find the really the best players. And so therefore, right, right. I'll just deal with it. And right. it, it's that general sense of laziness that you don't have a plan that, in, in my view, actually, uh, actually causes a lot of it. And, 
And, and I think you've already helped our listeners today to understand that if you don't have a plan that says, hey, I'm going to be recruiting rock stars, and it's not going to be this crazy thing that is a bullet point job description that everybody hates reading, then right. you're, not, you're not going to find that good person. Right. You're, you're, the game is over before you've even started. I, I think another point is that so many companies have this bell curve, right, mm-hmm. where 10% have to be A's and 80% are B's and 10% are C's. Again, I, I, I suppose that's the way the world works. But first of all, why do you have C's? Why haven't you parted ways with them? And, and so that's kind of the bottom 10. The middle 80, you know, are, make a decision. Can they become A's, which, frankly, many people can't? Uh are they in the right position? Maybe there's a different position where they could become a top performer. Or should they be, you know, upgraded over time uh, and, and managed out of the organization? So this whole bell curve m- mindset, uh, and I know this being a, you know, a professor, is a very dangerous mindset that leads to mediocrity in a lot of companies. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it, I mean, st- uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, my degree was in mathematics. So I understand bell curve and mathematics and all that kind of stuff. But the plain and simple thing, if you start using a bell curve in a business, and I don't care how large your business is, it, the bell curve applies to an entire population group. I mean, you're looking yep. at millions of people. Nobody's right, going to have your that. company. Exactly. I mean, for Absolutely. goodness sakes, you're never going to hire um, uh, hire that many people. Uh, it just, it, at least for the vast majority of companies. Absolutely. Let your competitor have all the B and C players. You take the A players. The next complaint that people say to me is, "Well, I can't afford A players," and they are definitely more expensive. There's no question. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. To which I say, you know, hire five people and pay them like eight people, right? And, and they do the work. They do. They do the work of ten, uh, versus trying to hire ten people who you can barely afford, and then you get a ten B players. I again don't get that mindset. So, I, I think the the moral of the story, frankly, is before you can begin to recruit rock stars or even go down this path. And I think you can't do it half ass. You either do it or you don't do it. Uh, but but Steve, I think your listeners have to kind of really think about this and decide if they want to make these tough decisions and engage in this kind of process. If you do, it, it's a game changer for, for any business in any industry. Uh, and if you don't, that's fine, but, but yeah, don't do it half-assed. I totally agree with you. And I, I, I do want to point out one other thing that I think uh, holds a lot of leaders back uh, in, from actually hiring more and more A players. And, and it's one that very few people will ever admit or talk about. And that is that uh, although A players, you may have to play, pay them a little bit more, A players also can be uh, a, a little more challenging at times for those of us to lead, simply yeah. because, you know what, they have ideas, they have, they have thoughts that may shake you out of your comfort zone. That's right. Totally agree. I've got a whole chapter. Chapter 10 is devoted to how do you lead rock stars? Because frankly, to your point, it ain't easy. Uh, They may be brighter than you. They may be harder working than you. They may be more experienced than you. Uh, All those things are great. But it does take uh, a different kind of leadership style. It's not just about providing ping pong tables and cookouts on Fridays. That's not (laughs) how you lead and inspire uh, and I know you've talked about that in some of your past episodes. It's not, uh, sure it's, not what, it's not what rock stars want. The number one thing they want 
is challenged. Even more than compensation, they want to be challenged. And that means they're going to challenge you as their leader, and you have to be okay with that. You're not going to win every battle. You've got to pick your fights and, and lead to the best conclusion. Best idea wins wherever it came, comes from. That's not uh, going to be a fit for every leader. You know, the, the know-it-all leader who's the narcissist that needs to be a dictator is never going to re- attract rock stars. And if he does, by chance, he's going to lose them very quickly. I think you're 100% correct on that, Jeff. Now, now, Jeff, I know that uh, we have listeners that are, are thinking, okay, well, I want to hire rock stars. I want to start doing that. Uh, what are some of the preliminary uh, recommendations that, that you want to share with our listeners today? Maybe the top two or three things that they should start doing right now to, to change their mindset. I guess I'll start with where do you find them, right? The number one place you should find rock stars, which sounds pretty simple, is through your own employees. Every company should have an employee referral program. Two-thirds of companies do, one-third don't. So if you don't have one, you need to set one up today. The scary statistic is that 50% of your hires should come from that program. For most companies, it's less than half that. It's about 20%. So you got to figure out, is it because our employee referral program stinks, or is it because this is a crappy place to work and my employees don't want to refer their friends and their colleagues and their fellow rock stars? So you really need to drill into that and be honest about it and get the answer to that question. you got to keep the employee referral program active, remind your, your employees on a regular basis. And here's the good news. doesn't matter how much you pay. Even Google has done studies where they doubled the amount paid and it didn't move the needle at all. So it's not about how much you pay as a referral bonus. It's about how often you keep it in front of your folks, how fresh you keep it, how, do you tell them which position you're trying to fill. So that's the, that's the first thing, right? Versus, that's awesome. I love versus that. Versus headhunters, and I'm a headhunter, so don't come to me first, right? Tap out your network. Tap out your employer referral network before you go to outside sources. Totally agree. The, the, the second thing I would say is once you have filled your funnel with candidates, whether it's any of the sources that we've talked about, the, the, the dangerous uh, component of recruiting is relying too heavily on the interview. And I know that sounds strange because everyone says, well, of course you interview candidates. And of course you interview candidates. The book has a chapter on how to do it, the right questions to ask. But interviews are notoriously unpredictive of success. You can be a phenomenal candidate and be a pretty crappy interview and vice versa, right? You could be in a ama- give amazing interviews and yet you can't do the job. That's, that's very common in sales. What is far more predictive is what I call the test drive. 91% of companies don't do it. A test drive is quite simply a two hour or two day or two week uh, test or job audition with the candidate where you give them an assignment, homework assignment or a project or something that replicates the actual work they're going to do and you observe how they do it and you see the end product and by the way it's the best work they're ever going to produce so if you're not impressed by that don't hire them <laughs> uh, many people who do great in the interview bomb the test drive and vice versa especially introverts or quiet people who don't blow you away in the interview but man they rock the test drive so uh, that that's a key component that's missing from 90, 90% of companies. I absolutely love that advice. That's awesome. The last thing I would say, which is pretty obvious, is reference checking. 
so I can't tell you that I love doing it. It's pretty time consuming. It's not uh, not a fun process. Most companies don't do it. They do it too late. They do it after they've extended an offer. Yeah. Uh, and they only talk to the references that the candidate provides. Those are what I call front door references. You want to speak to back door references, which are easily found on LinkedIn. So those are people that both you and I know, or you and the candidate knows. And you tap into those people to get the real skinny on this individual. Uh, and there's a way to go about doing that the right way. And so you can validate everything you've been told by the candidate when you're talking to backdoor references. Those are fantastic uh, tips for all of us to I, start thinking I, about. I, I wish I could say they were rocket science. I've, again, I've just, I've made a lot of mistakes. I have a lot of gray hair and, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you know the, the, the key headline here of all this is that one out of every two new hires fails. So it's basically a 50-50 coin toss. And my feeling is there's no reason you need to settle for a coin toss on the most important decision in your company. You can increase your hiring accuracy to 80%, 90% or more, but you do have to do the work. You gotta do things differently. And But if you do that, that again, full circle to our first point, you have to manage a lot less. I, I personally uh, would rather be celebrating great success than trying to figure out how I can get somebody up to average. Totally agree. It's not just, a lot of fun. Just, and, and your rock saying. stars really resent working with those people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They want to kill them uh, because yeah. they're dragging them down. And, uh, and if you, it, absolutely. If you don't exit those bottom performers, your, your top performers will leave. They will leave you because they don't want to be dragged down. Absolutely. Completely agree. Now, Jeff, I know people are, are going to uh, want to know more about you and also to connect with you. Uh, how would you recommend that listeners can connect with you? Probably the easiest way is either the website or my email. So the website is recruitrockstars.com, and they can learn all about the, the book and the 10-step process, uh, and, and there's a blog there. Or you can just email me, which is jeff at recruitrockstars.com. That's awesome. And uh, for those of you that are exercising, as always, just look in the show notes <laughs> and we will make sure to make it easy for you to go uh, and connect with Jeff. And I, I highly recommend that you get a copy of this book and actually study it. I mean, for goodness sakes, the most important thing we have is our people. And uh, on, on this show, we continually talk about how we can get the best from people well, why don't you start hiring the best like Jeff is talking about? And it'll certainly uh, cover up a lot of flaws that you personally might have in your leadership style. Just say it. Totally agree. And I really appreciate having me on today. Jeff, it's, it's been uh, our pleasure today. And I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom. Best luck on the book. And uh, we look forward to learning more about all of your great tips and techniques in the future. Thank you so much.